Go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to be in both of those chapters today, Ruth chapter 1 and chapter 2. I know we read all of Ruth chapter 1 last week, but uh, we're going to dig in right there at the tail end because something very incredible and something very important happens right there at the end of Ruth chapter 1 that really dictates and determines Ruth chapter 2. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I went to bed excited last night. Uh, I didn't sleep a whole lot last night. I think I was excited. Uh, I was in the Word, and the Word was in me. I woke up this morning, and I was excited because I knew I would have the opportunity to worship together with you. Uh, This morning, in the book of Ruth, I knew that we were going to experience believers' baptism together, and I was excited in that baptistry. And then Brother Andy and the praise team start singing these songs, and I get a little excited, you know, when I'm looking at the words and thinking about the words of those songs and when my eyes are focused on who I'm singing those songs to and who I'm singing those songs for, I just get a little excited. And so uh, I might lose my voice this morning, and that's okay. Uh, Chris can turn me down, um, at least on the mic. I, he might not be able to turn my vocal cords down, but anyway, we're going to work together. And so uh, last week we, we began this journey in the book of Ruth. And I'll tell you what the book of Ruth is. The book of Ruth is God's love story. It's God's love story, not just to Ruth and not just to Naomi. It's God's love story to the world. I love this because in Ruth chapter 1 last week, we saw some very difficult circumstances. It's the time of the judges, which means idolatry and sinfulness abounds. It's everywhere. Uh, We see some very difficult, you know, circumstances, but because of those difficult circumstances, we also see some disastrous decisions. Has anybody in here ever made a disastrous decision, right? One that maybe impacted you, but maybe it impacted someone else. Maybe it was family, maybe it was friend, maybe it was co You ever been there? I think maybe all of us have made some disastrous decisions before. Well, Elimelech decides to take his family to Moab a place where God said earlier in the Word, don't go there. He takes his family to Moab because he wants a temporary fix to the difficult circumstances that are taking place. You see, there was a famine in the land. And so Elimelech says, I got this. I'll handle this. I'll take my family to Moab because there's food in Moab. Well, guess what? Not only do we see difficult circumstances, not only do we see disastrous decisions, but we see some heartbreaking disappointment, don't we? Because the Bible tells us that Elimelech died in Moab. Not only that, his two sons married Moabite women, which again, if you go back to God's Word, God's Word commanded His people, don't go to Moab because of the ungodliness and certainly don't let your children marry in that land. Well, his sons married two Moabite women. Those two sons died. Malon and Kilion, they died. So Naomi was left as a widow, and she was left childless with two daughters-in-law looking to her for support. She was in a land that was not her own. So we see the conflict that she faces. She faced spiritual and fleshly conflict. Her spirit was telling her what to do and where to go, and her flesh was saying, but do this, but do that. So, So we see all of this stuff taking place. And in the midst of it, in her fleshly mindset, she looks at her two daughters-in-law and says, hey, let me pray for you. 
Let me pray that, that my God, the Lord Yahweh, will bless you when you go back to Moab. So, so her fleshly mindset was, I can't provide for them. I can't even take care of myself. How can I take care of them? So I'm just going to send them back to Moab, right? Where they worship false gods. Where human sacrifices are made to these false gods. Where sexual immorality abounds. Let, let me send them back there, but let me pray a blessing over them. Do you, do you see that? The flesh and the spirit just, just at war. But I want to remind you something about the book of Ruth and really about the Bible and about our God. He is sovereign. And in the book of Ruth, that's what we see. We see sovereignty. Yes, Orpah makes up her mind. She makes her own decision to leave Naomi and go back to Moab. And we never hear another word about Orpah. But what it tells us is is that she decided not to go to Judah, not to accept God of Israel, but rather to go back to Moab and worship and practice there in Moab to her own gods. Ruth, on the other hand, is determined to stay with Naomi. She says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And she uses the name of the Lord, which is Yahweh in Scripture, which means covenant relationship. So what Ruth did was she made a public proclamation of faith in the God of Israel, in the God of Joseph and Jacob and on and on. We know that the Word tells us God has set eternity in our hearts. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11. God created you and me to be eternal beings. But we choose. See, God in His sovereignty gives us free will. He gives us the opportunity to choose to love Him in return or to walk away from Him, to reject Him. Ruth entered into a covenant relationship with God. What I want you to see in Scripture today is that in His sovereignty, in His sovereignty, God is always at His work. God is always at His work. I don't care if you can feel Him or not. Guess what? God's working. I don't care if you can see Him or not. Guess what? God's working. Now don't get me wrong. I care about you. And I do care about every part of you. Your emotional state. Your mental state. But I care more about your spiritual state. I want you to know who God is. And I want you to know who you are. And I want you to know the future He has for you. And that supersedes any feelings that you might or might not have. God is always at His work. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 17? Listen to this. My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. See, I didn't just make that statement up. That's God's Word. So whether you... Believe me or not, doesn't matter. What do you believe God's Word says? Well, I just told you what God's Word says. He is always working, no matter what difficult circumstances you're going through. No matter what disastrous decisions you might make. And believe me, you probably will make some. No matter what heartbreaking disappointment you are experiencing, whether it is self-inflicted or not, 
God is always at his work in your life and in the life of this world. He will never turn away from us. He will never reject us. He will always, always be with us and for us. All we have to do, all we have to do is return. Return. That's the word of the day. Watch this. Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. So the two women, Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Notice the plural word there, right? The whole town was stirred because of them. Not just Naomi, who they knew, but Ruth, whom they did not know. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And look at verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. What an, what an incredible statement. The Lord has brought me back. That's pretty good. That's pretty cool. But she didn't stop there, did she? The Lord has brought me back what? Empty. Here's her mindset in that, right? The fleshly mindset. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. But thank God that chapter 1 doesn't end with 21 verses. See, chapter 1 ends with a 22nd verse. And it is the verse that makes all the difference. Verse 22. So Naomi, what's the word? Returned. Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Oh my. (laughs) What an awesome passage of Scripture that will lead us into more awesome passages of Scripture. Let me tell you something about Naomi. She is struggling. She is struggling mightily. Let me just tell you something. She's not just struggling mentally She is struggling physically and spiritually. She is struggling in every way possible. But she is pointed in the right direction. Amen? She's not walking in Moab. Oh, no, no, no. She was pointed to Judah, and she's now walking in Bethlehem. She is home. She has returned home. So so let's talk about Naomi's struggle. Here's what I believe Naomi is going through. Naomi suffers what I would like to call an identity crisis. Naomi suffers from an identity crisis. Do you know what an identity crisis is? Identity crisis is this. Who am I? Who am I? Why am I? What am I supposed to do? Who am I? Why am I? What do I do now? 
She suffers an identity crisis. I love what Pastor Gary Phillips says in his commentary. Listen to this. He says, Naomi interpreted God's love for her through the circumstances of life rather than interpreting her circumstances of life through God's love. Isn't that incredible? She was interpreting God's love for her by her circumstances rather than looking at her circumstances through the filter of God's love. And that is why she is struggling. That is why she is suffering through what I call an identity crisis. You see, in this moment, what she was doing was she was allowing her difficulties, her decisions, and her disappointments to define her. And it looks like the townspeople didn't do her any favors, right? Think about this. She goes, she, instead of living and staying in Moab, she turns. By the way, that's repentance. She turns and goes back home. She returns to Judah. She returns to God. And she brings all of that stuff with her. Right? She brings all the, the difficulty and the disaster and the heartbreak. She brings it with her. She, she's struggling. But, but she knows where to take her struggle. But in the midst of that, she has an opportunity to either filter it with a fleshly mindset or a heavenly mindset. We talked about that the first four weeks of January, didn't we? Set our minds on God's Word and on God's ways, not the ways of this world. See, here's what I I see in this passage of Scripture. Naomi returns with Ruth, and the town people say this, Can this be Naomi? They're not going, Oh, could this be Naomi? No, they're going... Is that Naomi? Like the woman who left us and went to that ungodly place and now she's back? That's the, t- that's the, the tone that they are taking. The reason I say that is is because the Bible says they were stirred. Do you know what the Hebrew word for stirred is? It means to be confused and distraught. That's what it means. So the townspeople... Not only did they notice Naomi because the Bible says they were stirred because of who? Them. So not only did they notice Naomi coming back, they noticed she brought who with her? Oh, not just Ruth. They brought a Moabite woman to Bethlehem. There's some powerful messages in here. I could preach a series on this one verse. See, they noticed her, they noticed the Moabite woman. And it's almost as if they're casting judgment. I'm not going to go that far, but that's sure what it looks like. And what's sad is, is in the moment, guess what Naomi does? Naomi rejects who she was. I told you this last week, but in case you weren't here, let me just tell you. Do you know what the Hebrew word Naomi means? It means pleasant. It means sweetness. That was the name given to her by God. Identity crisis, right? I'm looking at who I am based on the circumstances of my life, the difficulty, the disastrous decisions, the heartbreak. And so what does Naomi say? Oh, don't call me Naomi. Just just call me Mara. So what she does is, is she decides to give herself her own name. And it's based on difficulty, decisions, and disappointment, she gives herself the name Mara, and she tells you what the name Mara means. It means bitter. 
bitterness was now her identity. Do you know what bitterness does? Let me just ask you this question. Have you ever been bitter before? Okay, probably every one of us has been bitter before at someone or something. It's probably safe to say at some point some of us have even maybe been bitter toward God because we didn't like the answer we got or because maybe we think he didn't answer. Maybe we thought he rejected us. Maybe we thought he turned his back on us. And so we have this bitterness. Do you know what bitterness does? Bitterness chokes out thankfulness. See, you can't put bitterness and thankfulness in the same jar. It ain't going to work. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. Not possible. So when you contain bitterness inside of your soul, thankfulness will not be there. It's choked out. Ruth is standing right beside her. Think about this for just a minute. Ruth knows the public proclamation of faith that she made, right? She left Moab. She left the false gods. She left her mom and dad. She left everything she knew. And she said, I'm coming to God and I'm going to be with God. Think about this for a minute, right? She's standing right next to a salvation that God has made. And, And did she say a word about Ruth? Nope. She didn't say a word about Ruth. She didn't say a word about God's salvation to these people who are talking to her. No, it's all about me. She's suffering an identity crisis. But remember what I just told you? What did Jesus say in John 5, 17? My father is what? Always at his work. Which means you can't stop God. And neither can I. No matter what we feel like, (laughs) no matter what we may have done, no matter what we may be doing. Let me tell you why. Because God works. God works. His work is not dependent upon me and you. He can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, wherever He wants, however He wants, with whomever He wants. It's called sovereignty. And you either embrace it or you don't. But it don't change the truth. God works. Don't you love this? Back in Ruth 1.6, we see that it was sovereign God who had a plan all along, even in the famine. He never stopped working. We see that God's voice made it. Even to Moab, God's voice made it. Because here's what it says. It says, Naomi heard that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. So even in an ungodly land, God can show up. Even in an ungodly place, amongst ungodly people, God can speak. And I thank God for that because at one point, I was ungodly. At one point, I was living in an ungodly place, in an ungodly mindset. But thank God, He still works because He spoke to me where I was and how I was. And He said, son, I love you. And His Spirit called me to repentance and faith. That's called grace. Thank God for it, amen? God was not done with Naomi. And no matter what it looked like and no matter what it felt like, he had not turned his back on her. God is at work. And I'm going to tell you, God's plan is not the only thing that's perfect. You know what else is perfect? His time. 
she, she came back, right? She came back to Bethlehem, and she came back with all this struggle. But did you see when she came back? She came back during what? The beginning, not just the harvest, the beginning of the barley harvest. <laughs> that matters. See, Naomi returns. I love that in verse 22. The word return is used many, many times in the Old Testament. Did you know that almost every time the word return is used in the Old Testament, it is the Hebrew word for repent? Mm -hmm. Eliphaz in Job 22, 23 urges his friend Job, if you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. It's the same word used in Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. Naomi returns. Does she return all fixed up and all prettied up? No. She returns broken. And in her own words, she returns how? Empty. This is God. This is sovereignty. This is love. Look at Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now understand, the writer of Ruth is giving us that information. Okay? This is not Naomi saying something out loud, and this is not Ruth saying something out loud. No, this is the writer of the book of Ruth telling us some important information as we continue. So Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of good standing uh, from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And I'm going to talk to you about Boaz in just a few minutes. Look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Very important word. We'll get to it. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field. Notice she doesn't know whose field it is. She just entered a field. Do you see that? So Ruth doesn't know Boaz personally because she's never met him. And Ruth doesn't know, oh, I'll go to Boaz's field. It says she went into a field, right? And began to glean behind the harvesters as it turned out. (laughs) I'm going to talk to you in just a minute about that phrase too. As it turned out. But let's just keep reading. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Let me first tell you this, that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what, God provides. God is always at His work, and God provides. I'm going to tell you what, this is sovereignty, not coincidence. Ruth did not know whose field she would glean, but God provides. And I'm going to tell you what this is. This was a provision of God's grace put in place before Ruth was ever born. You want me to tell you why? It's called Leviticus chapter 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 24. See, before Ruth was ever born, there was a provision of God's grace. 
God made plans to provide for, listen to this, and I'm quoting scripture, the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the foreigners. Huh? I, I, anybody want to say amen? Okay, that's good. Because God is always at work, and he's always got a plan, and his time is what? Always perfect. Perfect. Whew. God, in his command, told the harvesters to leave the edges of the field. I'm just telling you what Leviticus and Deuteronomy says. He told the harvesters to leave the edges of the fields for these people to glean. This is amazing grace. And this is awesome sovereignty. Because God commanded the steps of Ruth into a field, and not just any field, but the field of Boaz. And all along, what was Ruth looking for? What'd she tell Naomi? I'm going to go into a field, and I'm going to try to glean from someone whose eyes might show me what? Favor. Let me just tell you what the Hebrew word for favor is right here. You know what it is? Grace. What Ruth told Naomi was, I want to go into a field, and I want to do what, what the commands say I can do. And hopefully, hopefully, right, maybe, just maybe, as it turns out, <laughs> I'll, I'll be in a field where someone will have grace on me. Mm. Ruth seeks grace, right? She's seeking grace. And so she comes to a field that belongs to Boaz. And what did Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 tell us about him? He was a man of standing. Do you know what that means? In the Hebrew language, that means one who is worthy. It also means one of valor and integrity. So she didn't just stumble into a field of some man who happened to be a good farmer, did she? Oh, no, 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 no. She was directed into a field of a man who was worthy. A man who had integrity. You see that phrase, as it turned out? Do you see that? As it turned out. That's the fleshly mindset of saying, it just so happened. Right? By chance. Right? By chance. It was luck. Right? That's what it was. She was a lucky girl. I'm going to tell you, that's a fleshly mindset. And a lot of people live with that fleshly mindset. But see, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on the heavenly right now, not the fleshly. So you know what I say about this? I say about this is the sovereignty of God. This wasn't a coincidence. This was divine planning and divine timing. Let me tell you why. Again, I hate telling you something and not backing it up with Scripture. So let me do that. Psalm 37, verse 23. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in Him. If that's not enough, Proverbs 16, verse 9. In their human hearts, right? In their humans, I'm sorry, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but it is the Lord who establishes their steps. So let me just tell you again, Ruth made a proclamation. Your God is now my God. I call on Yahweh because I am now in covenant relationship with Him. Let me just tell you something. She didn't just stumble upon a field. She delighted in the Lord and the Lord led her to a field. God provides. Ruth is seeking grace 
And we keep reading because it just keeps getting better and better. Verse 4, just then. That's like saying, oh, by chance. But don't do that with a fleshly mindset. Divine. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. That's a whole other message. How many of us... How many of us go to work and we don't say a word to the people we work with? Or the word we say to them has nothing to do with God? What if we walked into work tomorrow and the first thing we said to somebody was the Lord bless you? Anyway, I shot that rabbit. He is now dead. (laughs) The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, and look at his first response. Sounds, I'm not going to go there. Let's just read it. The overseer replied, she is the Moabite. She is the Moabite. See, the harvester don't see her the way Boaz is going to see her. I'm just going to go ahead and let that cat out of the bag. The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And look at verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, look at this. He didn't send some messenger to her. No, he went himself to her. Oh, that's good. So Boaz said to Ruth, look at the first two words. My daughter. Not, hey, Moabite. Right? Hey, widow. Hey, orphan. No, he said, my daughter. Sounds a lot like Jesus, don't it? Mm. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Where the men are harvesting. In other words, don't just hang out on the edges. Uh Uh-uh. Get in the middle. He says, don't just... (laughs) Watch the fields where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. I'm going to just tell you, This is so good. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will get you as excited about it as I am. This is a but God story. This is a sovereign God story. This is a love story for Naomi, for Ruth, through Boaz. See, what God does here is God leads Ruth to the right place, to the right person, and at the right time. Mm. She doesn't know it yet, but we do because of verse 1. Boaz is a man of standing. He is worthy. He has integrity. And she is in this field seeking grace from someone. And oh, does God give it to her or what? Right? This ain't just a, a teaspoon of grace right here. This is the whole dadgum jar. Like, this, this ain't Marty just reaching in to put a little sugar on some cookies. This is Marty pouring the jar out and me going, we having sugar cookies today? Like, give me all the calories at one time. 
And this is, this is God, right? Because look at this. Boaz sees Ruth. He sees her. And it doesn't stop there. He blesses her. Let me tell you what theologians tell us, what biblical scholars tell us. They tell us in, in our study that Boaz in this story is what we call a God representative. In other words, Boaz in this story represents God the Father and how he sees and how he blesses. <laughs> he sees her. And he does not judge her. He does not condemn her. He blesses her. His own harvesters focused on the fact that this is a Moabite woman. This is a foreigner. This is a widow who came with a widow who left us. And yet his first two words, he sees her and he goes to her and the first two words he uses is, my daughter. Tell you that ought to that ought to grab your heart. Not only did she find grace, she found amazing grace. And notice that the blessing is not just gleaning at the edges of the field and moving on. Oh no, no, no. The blessing to Ruth is come to me, right? Be a part of my household, my workers. Don't just hang out on the edges. Get inside. Get in the middle. Get with me. That's what Boaz says to her. I want to ask you a question right now, right? How many of you, right? How many of you have been living on the edges, right? You've been satisfied with just a few crumbs. Maybe a few crumbs. I'm going to tell you something. God's grace is more than crumbs. And God doesn't want you to just sit around on the edges of life grabbing for crumbs. He wants you to get in the middle of it. He wants you to be part of His household. That's what God wants. And we see it right here in the book of Ruth. And don't you see this? That the blessing to Ruth is not just provision. It's also protection. Like, 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 Boaz says, I want to take care of you, yes, but I want you to know that I've got you. He says, I've told my workers not to lay a hand on you. You can harvest in my field, not just glean. Don't you love that? Come harvest in my field. Don't just glean. Also, when you're thirsty, come drink from my jars. Because I know my men will have it to the full, right? You're not going to just have a little bit of water at the bottom of the, bo- of the jar. No, no, no. My men fill the jars and you can have all the water you want. Does that sound a little bit like Jesus? Huh? Woman at the well? Kept coming back day after day, filling that jar up. And guess what? It got poured out and emptied out and she had to keep coming back. What did Jesus tell her about the water he was going to give her? Oh, my daughter, the water I give you will spring up for eternity. Mm. I hope, I can only hope, and I can only pray that you are in a place right now seeking grace like Ruth was. I can only hope and pray that you will not stay on the edges. Let me just say this. The edges is a good place to start. We've got to start somewhere, don't we? And when she walked into that field, she started on the edges because that was the provision that had been made in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. 
But God was making a new way. And God was making a way for her to know that, hey, I'm not just calling you to the edges of my field. I'm calling you to the center of my field. Where you won't just glean in this life, but you'll harvest. Sounds like when Jesus said, I have come for you to have life and life to the full. Huh? Abundant. You think Jesus is satisfied with your gleaning? Read the Bible. Jesus didn't say, come glean. Jesus didn't say, oh, I want to give you some crumbs. No, Jesus said, I want you to have what? Full life. Abundant life. Why would he say that? Because he knows God provides. Mm. So let me go ahead and finish this up. We won't get to the end of chapter 2, so don't worry. But in Ruth chapter 10, or chapter 2, verse 10, starts at this, right? At this. In other words, in this moment, when she saw the grace that was being given to her, look at this, oh, at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. Let me remind you, this was a fresh, brand new Christian. Someone who chose God, chose God, chose to be in a covenant relationship, right? Just a few days ago, and she's already showing us how we're supposed to worship. She bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you even notice me? And look at this. Do you think Naomi was the only one suffering from identity crisis? Oh, no, 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 no. Ruth was suffering too because look at what she says at the tail end of that question. Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Oh, she's still carrying this weight, right? She still feels this in her spirit. And look at this, verse 11. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Look at the blessing, verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Her response, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease. Oh, that's important. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of your servants. But Boaz is not going to just tell her. He's not just going to tell her. He's going to show her. Look at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here. Think about what Boaz said. Come over here. Does it sound a little bit like what Jesus said in Matthew? Come to me, and I will give you. Mm. Boaz says, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, huh? With the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, And she ate all she wanted and had some left over. Let's talk about what Ruth did to begin with. 
at this? Ruth responds with humility. We have to remember Ruth is a new believer. She's struggling with her own identity, knowing who she is and who she is and why she is. And so she asked the question, who am I, right? Who am I that I should get this grace because I'm just a foreigner? But notice where she did that. She did that bowed down in worship. Bowed down. And Boaz knows Ruth. Don't you love it? This wasn't just Boaz accidentally pouring his grace out. This was intentional. He knows. Look at what he says. I know all about you, girl. I know all about you. I know your story. Isn't that intimidating? But awesome. You ever been in a place where like you were a little bit fearful, but a little bit excited? Like, what an intimidating statement. I know all about you, son. I know all about you, girl. And what does he do? He says, come over here. (laughs) Get close to me. You know what Boaz does? He comforts Ruth and invites her to get just a little bit closer. Look at what Ruth says. You have put me at ease. That word ease in the Hebrew is the word comfort. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul tells us that God is the God of all comfort and compassion. So what does Boaz do? He brings Ruth to his table invites her to get close to him, and then he gives her bread, right? Not just crumbs. He gives her bread, not off the floor, but off the table, and he gives her the opportunity to dip it in the wine, right? The wine vinegar. Do you know what this is? Like, do you know what we're seeing? This is a foreshadowing of what Jesus did with his disciples at the table. He broke the bread of life with them. He dipped that bread in the wine with them. Don't tell me the Old Testament is done and gone. The Old Testament points to the new. The Old Testament is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. It starts in Genesis. And we see it in every book of the Old Testament. The prophets prophesy about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What does Ruth do? Man, she eats, don't she? Don't miss this. Right? She eats that bread. Man, she dips it in the wine. I believe she got as close to Boaz as she could get. But she's at the table. You know what she does? She receives the grace that Boaz offered. And she was satisfied. Huh? What does the Bible say? She ate all she wanted. And not only that, she had some left over. Right? Let me just tell you this. God's grace is greater. You put whatever you want behind it. God's grace is greater than my doubt. God's grace is greater than my fear. God's grace is greater than my difficulty. God's grace is greater than my disastrous decisions. God's grace is greater than any and all heartbreak I will ever face. God's grace is great. It is greater. It is the greatest. But what we see here again is in His sovereignty, 
God gives us free will. Not just to surrender to Him, but to receive what He gives. I wonder how many of us struggle with giving grace to others because we truly have not received grace ourselves. I wonder how many of us act like the harvesters and when we see somebody come in that don't look like us, talk like us, and act like us, the first thing we want to say is, she's a Moabite. I wonder why we struggle with giving grace. I'll tell you why. It's because we struggle with getting grace. We struggle with identity crisis. See, we, we view everything around us, right, as, oh, this is what God's love is, instead of going, let me look at all this stuff through the filter of God's love. We begin to believe what others say about us and say to us, rather than believe what God says to us and about us. We even begin to choose to name ourselves when God has given us a name. I'm going to tell you, I hope today that you don't just know about God's grace. I hope you receive it. And I hope you keep on receiving it. Because the only way you'll ever show it is if you get it. The only way you're going to look at people differently is if you see the way God sees you. The only way you're going to treat people differently is if you embrace the way God treats you. In your home, in your school, in your workplace, and yes, oh yes, in the church. Because don't forget, this happened in Bethlehem. Not only that, it happened in the field of Boaz. His own workers said, oh, she's a Moabite. And what did Boaz say? Oh no, she's not a Moabite. She's my daughter. Why would you believe anybody else? Why would you believe anybody else? God's grace to you and for you is Jesus. All you have to do is return. That's it. You just turn. Turn away from the sin and the shame. Turn away from the false gods. Turn away from the pride. Turn away from the anger and the bitterness. And if you have to, turn with that stuff. But just turn. If you've got to struggle with it, that's fine. Because Naomi and Ruth struggled with it, but they got there. They got there by God's grace, and God's grace didn't disappoint. And if I stopped right here, would Ruth, would Ruth chapters 1 and 2 all the way through verse 14 be enough? Oh, yeah, it'd be enough. But guess what? God's got some leftover. So come back next Sunday, and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and we'll keep on getting some grace, and it'll keep on filling us up. Don't believe the lies of the enemy, that you're a nobody, that you don't matter, that you're too far gone. That's the lies of the enemy, and all he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy Jesus said, I have come. I have come so that you may have life. Life to the full. Stop gleaning. 
and start harvesting God's grace.